Well, have you ever had a Damascus Road experience? Has God ever thrown you off your high horse, shown the bright light of God's love into your heart, and told you to get off your rear end and do something for God's sake? Or maybe it was more of a gentle nudge, a lingering feeling, that still, small voice of God worshiping or whispering, rather, in your ear. Now, since I've been at St. Paul's, I've had a number of parishioners talk to me about hearing God's call. One of them is now a priest, one is a deacon, one is halfway through her seminary time, and a couple are still in conversation. And as the chair of the Commission on Ministry of our diocese, I've heard from many more people about what they perceive as their call to ordination. And the mystery in all of this for me is that so many people think they have to be ordained as a priest or a deacon to carry out their call. Very few people speak to me about their call to lay ministry. And, you know, that's really sad because, as I hope you know, in the Episcopal Church, the number one order of ministry is the laity, lay ministry. If you were to look in our catechism, the outline of the faith found towards the back of the Book of Common Prayer, and you looked at the question, who are the ministers of the church? The answer is the ministers of the church are laypersons, bishops, priests, and deacons. And that is not an accident, it's not a coincidence. I hope that you have heard me say on more than one occasion that we've all been commissioned for ministry at our baptism. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and ordained into the royal priesthood of Christ. All ministry, lay or ordained, flows from our baptism. God is calling all of us, but thanks be to God, God is not calling most of us to be priests or deacons. Now we're talking about this today because we're celebrating our patronal feast day, the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. And Paul's conversion and call to ministry are incredibly dramatic. One minute he's in hot pursuit of another Christian to arrest and punish, maybe even kill. And the next minute he becomes an apostle, launching a career of bringing the good news of God and Jesus Christ literally to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know for sure why our forebears gathered in what was called the Laceyville District of Pittsburgh 180 years ago to name the then new church St. Paul's. I suspect that they felt that it was appropriate to name a new church for the person who started so many new churches the person who was responsible for bringing 
Christianity to the Gentiles and to most of the known world at that time. Perhaps they even realized that without Paul, we might not be Christians. Although I suspect that if Paul hadn't come along, God would have found someone else to do the job. I believe we should all be proud to have Paul as our patron saint, and we should strive to follow his example. Now, admittedly, some people don't like Paul. He gets a bad rap, primarily for statements attributed to him that are negative towards women. Let me give you a little aside, a mini lecture on uh, biblical scholarship. New Testament scholars are pretty unanimous that Paul personally wrote or dictated seven, seven of the Pauline letters, and that would be the ones that bear his name. That would be 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, and Romans. Most scholars are similarly convinced that Peter did not write 1st or 2nd Timothy or 2nd Thessalonians or the book of Titus. Many scholars think that Paul did not write Ephesians or Colossians. And everybody for about a thousand years have agreed that Paul had nothing to do with the book of Hebrews. Now, it seems kind of shocking in this day and age if someone wrote a letter and put someone else's name on it. We might call that plagiarism. Well, in ancient times, that was considered to be an appropriate way of honoring someone of great stature uh, to continue to continue that person's name. In this case, the name of the person who founded so many churches and who played such a major role in the early Christian church. Bottom line, the negative statements about women appear in letters that were almost certainly not written by Paul. Now, with one little caveat, there are three troublesome verses that do show up in 1 Corinthians. But if you look at your Bible, you probably find those verses are in parentheses because again, most scholars think that those words were written by someone else added after Paul's death and after the church had become more patriarchal. Well, the good news is that the record is shown in our genuine Pauline letters is that Women were prominent and important in Paul's ministry. They played a very important role. They were not second-class citizens. Now, there are many things I could say about Paul that I would hold up as models for us today, but you'll be glad to know I'm only going to touch on two. The first is his famous hymn to love found in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. You've probably heard it read at weddings. And if you're married, maybe it was read at your wedding. 
The favorite parts of that passage for me uh, is love is patient, love is kind. It is not irritable or resentful, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. We live in a world of hatred and mistrust, of separation and suspicion, where we erect barriers, real and metaphorical, to keep us largely separated from people who are not like us. And Paul's description of agape love, agape love, the pure love of God, the kind of love made only possible by God's love, sacrificial love, is particularly appropriate for us and it reminds us that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, that love heals, that God is love. And if it's not about love, it's not about God. I was reminded of the second Pauline passage this past Thursday evening as I was watching and listening to our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, preach the sermon at the opening worship of the Trinity Institute held up in New York City. Uh, the theme of which was racial justice. And as one of the theological underpinnings of God's call to justice, our presiding bishop cited verse 28 of chapter three of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and it says, there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Today we would add there is no longer black or white, straight or gay, rich or poor, able-bodied or physically challenged. Add your favorite dichotomy. 2,000 years later, Paul's words still speak to us. They still address our situation. They ring true. They still reveal God's dream of love, mercy, and justice for every human being. So, whether God needs to get our attention with the proverbial two-by-four or with a gentle nudge. God is calling us. God is calling you. Now, what exactly is God calling you to do? Well, ultimately, for the most part, only you can answer that question, although Garrett, Michelle, or I would be happy to speak with you to help you figure out what God is calling you to do. But this I do know, God is calling us to bring love and justice to a broken world. 
God is calling us to bring hope to the poor, the hungry, the abused, the outcast, and the marginalized. And you sure don't have to be a priest to do that.